Good morning to everyone, and thank you, Charlotte, for telling me that you could hear me. What a morning with um, no internet and not being able to open or welcome everyone. Um, of course, we all walk through our lives believing that the computer and internet worked yesterday, so of course it's going to work this morning. I guess that's a little bit of the um, aspect of delusion is thinking that there is always a continuation. For those of you who are new, we are spending the year um, exploring the different lists of threes. We started with the three refuges and the three characteristics. In these three months, we're looking at the three poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion. The next three months will be on the three pillars. I've really liked this month's topic of delusion. It's so rich and complicated. It's such an invitation to dive deeply into long-held patterns of thought and behavior. I hope you've all been having a an interesting and curious and kind of um, exploring time with this um, very rich topic of delusion. Others have talked about this topic earlier this month, both on Sundays and on Monday evenings, and they've talked about how challenging, pervasive, subtle, complicated, and hard to recognize is this poison. Lyndall described it as a slippery customer, and Arv reminded us that by its very de definition, delusion is difficult to see. It actually prevents us from seeing. It obscures. Tim and Carrie are doing a retreat for the Bellingham Sangha soon, and, they dis and the topic is delusion. And they describe it as a condition of the mind that confuses obscures, and mesmerizes us. Under its grip, we mistake the unreal for the real, the surface for the depths, and we assume ownership over just about everything. And delusion, you know, kind of manifests as walking around in a fog. So it's difficult to identify and practice with. And sometimes it's only after the fact that we realize where we were caught so this morning, I'd like to share some thoughts of areas in my life where delusion seems to appear and some suggestions for working with them. And I hope that these five areas that I'm going to talk about will resonate with you. Um, then at the end of the talk, maybe Lauren will organize some breakout groups and I'll give some <laughs> suggestions for how to where to go with that. So the first area where I think delusion can show up is in our search for happiness and contentment. Tim reminded me recently when I asked him a question that contentment is not dependent upon external circumstances. Well, I know that and you know that and yet I think we forget that belief that our happiness comes from external circumstances is a form of delusion, I believe. The truth is that happiness can only arise from an inner attitude, an inner perspective. 
Thich Nhat Hanh said that happiness depends on my mental attitude and not on external conditions. And he said, I can live happily in the present moment simply by remembering that I already have more than enough conditions to be happy. On retreat recently, I practiced with the dyad style of practice that our founding teacher Rodney used to use a lot. It's a process, usually there are two people where one person's asking the question, the other one's answering it, but I just used it for myself where I asked myself the same question over and over again. And my question was, where is their contentment in this moment? Where is their contentment? Regardless of body aches, sleepiness, distractions, did contentment exist? So I started with something pretty simple. I started with temperature, how I would be too cold or too warm, how I wanted to add a jacket, remove a jacket, take off socks, put on socks. And in practicing with something so simple and not terribly difficult, I realized that I was fine and it was only heat and cold. The practice was to be with the actual feelings and sensations of cold and hot, and then most importantly, not making those feelings and sensations into a problem. They were just conditions of the moment. I then also decided to work with something more challenging. Yesterday was the sixth anniversary of my life partner's death, so dealing with grief, I've had moments, lots of moments of sadness and loss and a sense of loneliness. And I practice similarly with those thoughts and emotions and whether even when they're present, can there be a sense of contentment? I ask myself, how do they feel in the body and the heart? The sadness doesn't necessarily dissipate, but it often changes. And sometimes it morphs into happy memories or just a deep sense of gratitude for 35 years that we had together. On my recent retreat with Narayan and Tim, Narayan started the retreat with this statement, the sweet joy of the path. And I reflected on what that means. And one of it is the continuous gift of the Dhamma, reminding me of the truth of things. And one of those truths is that in any moment, a so-called afflictive emotion, sadness, fear, whatever, doesn't have to fill up all the space and take up all the oxygen. Sadness and joy can coexist. Fear and confidence can coexist. And when I'm really present with this moment, with this here and now, I can experience that. A second area where I think delusion really surfaces is in my or our resistance to or denial of the truth of the heavenly messengers of aging, illness, death, and separation, the five recollections. We all know that aging is a real thing. All we have to do is pay attention to our bodies and see the changes that come along just because we've been alive a long time. Some of us can also see the realities of aging by paying attention to our minds, all those forgotten words, forgotten names, not remembering why I walked up the stairs, what was I looking for. And yet again, when actual changes manifest as a result of aging, 
we call them a problem and want them to go away. I remember many years ago when I started um, sea kayaking with my partner and we did that for 25 years and I watched as my strong back muscles developed and those changes in my body were never a problem. I actually welcomed them. So now that the muscle tone is pretty much gone, can I just kind of be with this is the way the body reacts to life and to being around? The fourth recollection is that everything and everyone I hold dear is subject to change. There's no way to escape becoming separate from everything I hold dear. How do we respond to this truth? You know, I've had all the usual responses of fear and resistance. And recently it's become a very um, important recollection for me. I'm looking at retirement and how I'm going to do that. I own and manage property with a lot of tenants. And I live in a wonderful place. It's a commercial warehouse. I have a lovely apartment on the second floor, an amazing garden, a viewing platform we call the bus stop. Sitting in the bus stop on a beautiful fall morning a few days ago, I was filled with so much love and attachment to the specialness of where I live. And I felt that real strong physical attachment and asked myself, can I let this go? Can I do this before I have to because of either illness or diminishment? Feeling the attachment, knowing it's there, I think is part of the practice with delusion. Not pushing it away, not causing it a, calling it a problem. I know that at some point I will become separate from this lovely home. And feeling the attachment isn't a problem. I don't deny it. And sometimes it's just the clinging that arises. I just keep asking myself, how do I let this go? What's that process like? The truth that none of us know what is coming next. The truth can be celebratory or frightening. At the recent Thursday morning drop-in sit, Lyndall read a fabulous Chinese poem, and there was this line that says, not knowing what tomorrow brings, it's exquisite. What if we approached life that way? Instead of worrying, fearful, fretful, all worked up about what we don't even know what's going to be, what if we approach whatever comes next as exquisite? I think practicing regularly with the five recollections and noticing what shows up when we state each one is really a part of this practice of delusion. Where is there energy today in this moment around aging, illness, death, or separation? Can we fully experience that energy in the body and hold it with tenderness, reminding ourselves that this being human isn't easy, One of the gifts of being human is the capacity to care deeply about objects, places, animals, nature, and, of course, people. This deep care, of course, it morphs into a a wanting, maybe a clinging. These objects of our love are are precious. They're exquisite, and we don't know when or how they will be gone. Practicing with them daily, I think, is best is an important way of being with them 
and not being deluded by them. A third area where delusion shows up is in those arenas in our lives where we get so entangled, sometimes all tied up in knots, and we ask ourselves, what gets us so entangled? There's a saying in the 12-step program that I learned years ago, don't pick up anything that doesn't have your name on it. And this is tied to the teaching that Arv shared last Sunday about our attachment to ego, self, and identity, and how all that contributes to making delusion a challenging affliction to practice with. The delusion of believing that I have to do something about this and looking at the I and the have to and the something and the this. And when things arise like that, what actually belongs to me? What actually is my business? What actually can I affect or control? We start with asking with as much honesty as possible, does this really have my name on it? And if the answer is yes, then what about the actions we believe we must take? We examine, I have to do something and ask ourselves, where's that energy coming from? We investigate and bring patience to sitting with that energy of compulsion, the desire to act and the desire to, and a belief in our ability to control whatever is happening. A fourth area is found in our lists of what's wrong with my life. What if there are things that are just not to our liking? Can I be fully alive in my life just as it is? Can we be fully alive in our lives just as they are? Can we be fully alive in the unpleasant and the pleasant and in those things that are neither one way or the other? Have we created certain conditions which have to be met in order for us to be fully present for life? And what are those conditions? Being fully alive in each moment is a decision we make. We make it over and over again, fully alive, fully present here and now. Recently at a Clear Mountain Monastery sit during the guided meditation, I felt so much tenderness and warmth in my heart, so much vulnerability. It was just a beautiful feeling. Then the mind chimed in with a thought, watch out. There are circumstances where it might not be safe to be so vulnerable and soft. Later, I shared that experience with the teacher of the morning, and he asked me, well, how did it feel in the moment of that warmth and vulnerability? Did you feel safe? And I said, well, yeah, I did. And she reminded me that staying in the here and now and seeing the truth of that moment, I could see that there was delusion in the thinking of what might come next. Again, none of us know what is coming next. And none of us have any control over what is going to show up. And lastly, I think delusion can show up in our practice. We may find delusion arising over goals and expectations, grading ourselves in our practice, asking questions over and over about how much progress we've made, whether it's working, that sneaky desire for self-improvement. We need to examine the difference between aspiration and goals. 
going back to Narayan's quote of the sweet joy of the path, reflecting on our practice and how important and central is the Dhamma in my life, in your life, can we make the practice and the path more central? What would that look like? When one does that, there's this growing sense of confidence and faith in the path, trusting our practice, trusting that it won't fail us. Over and over again, over the years, we've all asked ourselves questions like, is this true? And we can keep doing that and finding the answer and asking ourselves so honestly and with a lot of compassion, is this thought true, really can help us avoid falling into the trap of delusion. We think our practice, and some of us as really long-time meditators, we think of ourselves as so sophisticated. But I think one of the ways to prevent delusion from taking hold in the practice is to really get back to the basics of being present in this moment and in the next and the next. You know, delusion is often described as a fog And in nature, what removes fog? It's wind. Breath is the wind as it appears in the body. Staying with the body and the breath and the here and the now. We're more likely to see into the delusion. Remembering that breath is only in the here and now. Body sensation is only in the here and now. Even this thought or emotion arises in this moment. And if we don't grab hold of it and make something out of it, it changes and may even disappear. So I want to just summarize some of the practice suggestions that were part of those five areas that I talked about, um, ways of not getting lost in or mesmerized by delusion. And the first is honesty, brutal honesty, but tender and caring honesty. We we investigate, we ask ourselves questions over and over and over again. We're open to the answers and we're open to not getting an answer. Patiently, we wait for the answers, for the clarity. So secondly, after honesty is we look at how we turn just natural parts of life, like aging and loss, into problems. And what happens when we take those kind of natural evolving events of life and turn them into problems? What does that do to the mind and the heart? Third is humor. I don't know how any of us can get through this circus of life without laughing at ourselves, without laughing at the circumstances. I know for me it's it's a real lifesaver. Fourth, is the practice itself. We all are on this path in order to understand the mind. We keep examining the thoughts and beliefs that arise. Are they true? Do they lead to the end of suffering or to more suffering? I think recommitting to our practice and path and trusting the practice, trust the wisdom that has developed over the years, Trust what Philip Moffat calls, he says, the Dhamma does you. Without searching for it, the Dhamma, the truth of the way things are, actually arise in the mind and heart. And last is recommitting to being in the here and the now. 
We so love, I don't know about you, but I love hanging out in tomorrow. We lean forward and we believe that we know into what we are leaning, but we don't. That beautiful Chinese poem that Lyndall shared on Thursday morning from Tao Chin, that line, not knowing what tomorrow brings, it's exquisite. And what does that mean to you? So exploring that, not knowing what tomorrow brings, it's exquisite. Thank you for your attention. I hope you were all able to hear me and um, bless Lauren for opening up the sit and play the internet. Um, So I'm hoping that Lauren will create some breakout groups and for those of you who for whatever reason can't stay, um, thank you for joining us and have a wonderful rest of your day. For those who are staying, um, I encourage you to share with each other about areas where in your life where delusion may show up. I just shared five of mine. And where do you find it and how do you work with it? And just a reminder about breakout group guidelines. We don't do crosstalk. We give everybody their time. That includes, you know, advice or interrupting. We really practice active listening and and notice if, you know, any kinds of thoughts come up, just notice them. Share the time as equally as possible and respect the privacy of the people in the group. Well, welcome back, everybody. And um, I hope you had a good a good group and... Um, Lauren is going to, she's the eyes, (laughs) she's going to um, see who wants to um, speak and hopefully you'll share some of how delusion has been showing up in your life and practice. Charlotte. Yeah, I was uh, talking about the delusion, one of the delusions I have is um, that people want to hear me Strangers want to talk to me and other things. Well, I, I was on the light rail. This is an example. I was on the light rail yesterday and there was a young man who was eating a pizza and he finished it and he put, you know, the, the tritus and back in the box. I was going to take it off the train and I wanted to say to him, you know, that can be composted. But I, <laughs> I said to myself, Oh, Charlotte. You're not the pizza box police. So I just kept quiet. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a big delusion for me. So I've got a lot of work to do. Thank you. But how great that, that you knew that you were not the pizza box police. You know, it's, I love that 12 step phrase of don't pick up anything that doesn't have your name on it. And yet we want to, you know, and it was, came from a good um, place inside because you want to support composting. Uh, Charlotte, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Judith. Okay, well, one thing we were talking about was the importance of balance and how we, um, well, I'll speak for myself, how I 
on the one hand, when you're, when you're confronted with something that isn't the way you want it. And on the one hand, I feel like I've got to fix this. I've got it, you know, I've got a goal. I've got to push. I've got to get it done. And on the other hand, I'm thinking, well, maybe I don't know, but maybe if this, I do this and it won't work and that and, and, you know, getting paralyzed by indecision on the one hand and just, uh, and then getting uh, out over my skis in a sense by just pushing to get a certain result on the other and how to find a balance um, between these and, and that, you know, in every situation, really how to find, how to find the middle way, how to find the balance, because mm-hmm. it seems like both of the extremes are examples of delusion. What, what has worked for you, Judith, what kinds of things have you found has um, oh, well. been helpful to find balance? It doesn't always work. That's a problem. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it does seem like, I mean, certainly my tendency has to be to be very goal oriented and very action oriented and let's get this fixed. And I have in the past few years run into situations that I can't fix. I just can't. No matter how hard I push, they aren't going my way or the way I think they should go. And that there is some benefit in being able to just let go and see what happens. But then my mind says, oh, no, you're not acting. You're not doing what you're supposed to. So I don't know if I would say this is actually working. Maybe it is in a way that I'm not recognizing. I don't know. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, There's, um, I think that's a great point that you brought up and um, I'm going to share something that I I hope is um, a good response to this at Cloud Mountain in the main bathroom in the dining room there's this poster on um, letting go that Steve Armstrong wrote the text for and he he frames all of the paramis into a letting go and um, they're so great. Um, I just want to, I'm just going to read them to everybody because I think that they really say a lot about sometimes we need to let be, let things be. And um, um, so the, the generosity was letting go of a tangible way as a way to let go of the tension caused by grasping to it. Integrity, letting go of bad habits, impulses, and reactive habits of mind. Um, Renunciation, letting go of behaviors, prejudices, views, and opinions. Wisdom, letting go of willful naivete and the ignorance of I'd rather not know. Energy, letting go of procrastination and laziness. Patience, letting go of expectations and that things need to be done my way which I think has a lot to do with sometimes when this the fix-it stuff. Um, truthfulness, letting go of denial and the subtle ways we shade off our self-narratives. Resolve, letting go of willful doubt, wavering, and indecision. Loving kindness, letting go of bitterness, grudges, hatred, and all forms of ill will. And equanimity, letting go of fear, preferences, and the need to dramatize ordinary experience. Mm. And I think that sometimes 
um, some of those different aspects of letting go, whether it's letting go of the belief that I can fix it and I have the my way is the right way or, you know, letting go of a belief about it or, you know, whatever. Um, I think at least asking ourselves, is there something I need to let go of in this moment? And could I find balance in that way? At least asking that question. Yeah, that that makes sense. And I think that possibly my problem comes with think the mind telling me, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't let go. You should fix it. And that uh-huh. actual letting go and letting, seeing what happens and letting it be is what's pattern breaking for me. Uh-huh. So, wow. That yeah. sounds important. Yeah. Um, and letting things be. And I also think that patience giving, you know, we often put a time deadline onto things that it's a false deadline that we could actually give it some more time and space and see what happens. You know, it's like that email you want to respond to and then if you sleep on it and the next morning you read again and you go, oh, I don't need to do that. I need, you know, you can soften or just ignore or whatever. I think it's similar. I think that patience of giving things some time can be really helpful and then see what happens with those questions about letting go. Judith, thank you for for, um, sharing that. How about just one more and then there's a few um, uh, announcements. Yes, we have Lillian and Nikhil. Um, Yeah, I think, Suze, your talk made me think about um, how easy it is for, you know, planning, which, you know, on, and planning on its own isn't necessarily harmful. You know, we have to, you know, we have to account for the fact that, like, you know, there is a future and, you know, plan for, like, I need to eat a meal or, you know, do X, Y, and Z, but how easy it is for that to turn into, uh, turn into clinging to the thing that we were planning for. And how it just, it happens so subconsciously and all of a sudden that planning now turns mm-hmm. into a delusion. Now we have this delusion that this plan is going to happen. And <laughs> for me, like, I never realize when that, that, that's crossed until it's like way, like, you know, there's like a whole lot of like craving and greed and like, you know, just like stuck in the delusion. And then you finally realize, oh wow, like how did that happen? And yeah. Yeah. I think. I think something you said about, um, you know, trying to find the content, like where is the contentment in the moment? And, and, you know, I think something I've been practicing with recently is trying to be aware of what is, what do I know to be the truth about the moment? And then what do I also know? What am I feeling? And like trying to be aware of, you know, I think like oftentimes it seems like this contradiction and trying to be aware of the fact that mm-hmm. it's not a contradiction and that like those are both two things that are present where like what I'm feeling doesn't need to line up with what the truth of the moment is. And that's like part of like what is kind of present. And I think what you said about trying to find where's contentment that feels like a way to maybe not necessarily like bridge the gap between like what I'm feeling and like what is true, but also be aware of something else that is true that isn't 
that might like expand my awareness of like, what am I feeling? I guess. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, this like your talk was very helpful. Oh, I'm so glad. And that, um, apparent contradiction or maybe not between the mind saying this is the truth of the moment and the feeling tone and emotion saying, but, but this is where I'm at and exploring all of that and whether maybe they're in contradiction and maybe they're just aspects of the same thing. And then, you know, I, for me, learning that afflictive emotions can coexist with other things and that they don't have to feed or fill up the entire space of mind and heart that's been really helpful and so then they live together and they're not in contradiction they're just different i i'm thank you for sharing i think this process like you were saying that you know the um looking at it is is really where we find some freedom from delusion because we're willing to really look at it so thank you for sharing that Nikhil. And thanks to everybody. Um, I just, I'll share a few announcements and then we'll just close with a, a short dedication of merit. And just wanted to appreciate everybody for showing up and participating and for your practice and your aspiration towards freedom from suffering and for finding peace and ease in life. And we send that desire, that wish for all beings, may they find peace and ease in life. Be well, everyone. Bye. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.